Are you ready to go to the Word of God this morning? Yes. Praise God. Well, as you see on the master text there on the screen, um, turn to Philippians chapter 3, if you will. We're going to be talking today about the power of His resurrection. The power of His resurrection, as I stated earlier on, is uh, the theme of today's service, and certainly that's true with um, this teaching today. And as we turn to our master text this morning, I just want to say by way of introduction that uh, this might seem like a strange choice to read as our master text on Resurrection Sunday, because this is not the typical master text that people would look to, or that most churches would look to, as we celebrate our Savior rising from the dead. In fact, I was going to go in a totally different direction with this teaching originally, uh, because uh, I wanted to stick more to kind of what I was saying when I opened up the service. I wanted to give you some of the historical and archaeological, archaeological, easy for me to say, and scientific validation for Jesus raising from the dead. I, I do that several, uh, I've done that several times on Resurrection or Easter Sunday. Uh, but it seemed like the Holy Spirit was taking me in a different direction today to this teaching, which will not be your typical Easter Sunday sermon. Uh, so let's read this master text, and then I'll get into this. So once again, Philippians chapter 3, and let's stand as we honor the reading of God's holy word. We're going to read through verses uh, 4 through 10. And we're kind of picking this up mid-context here, but uh, we'll try to do our best. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he's talking about some of his credentials, if you will, as a, a religious Pharisee, a religious Jew, and he takes no confidence in, on all of that. So let's pick it up kind of a mid-sentence here in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here he's about to brag upon his religious heritage, which then he says, it really means nothing to me now. He says, if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, which was a highly trained religious leader. That's what that, that is, a Pharisee. As for zeal persecuting the church. He persecuted the church before he became a believer. Um, and as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith." I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you will. Praise God. Well, as we get going this morning, I have to forewarn you about something as we get started here. I suppose that some of you may have come to church today on this Easter Sunday to hear a pretty little message about Jesus loving you and dying for your sins, and then you can go home and resume your usual lives or your regularly scheduled programming, as they used to say on TV. Well, you are going to hear some of that today, but I think you're going to get some things today that you didn't expect as well. So then, I just believe that by God's sovereign will, you are in the right place at the right time, hearing the right message for you. So, let's get into this. Now, as I said, this teaching will be a little bit unusual for Easter Sunday because I'm just going to spend a lot of our time together today um, breaking down this passage from Philippians chapter 3 that we just read and, and how it applies to us. So the first thing that I want to draw to your attention is that the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ. And that word know in the Greek is the word gnosis. 
and it means knowledge gleaned from first-hand personal experience. If you're working with your bulletin today, you might want to write that down in your notes. Knowledge gleaned from first-hand personal experience. In other words, if we were to kind of um, paraphrase what Paul was saying, he may have said it like this, I don't just want to know about Christ, I want to have a close personal relationship with him, to talk to him, to know his ways, even to the point of identifying with his sufferings. That's what Paul was saying. Now, how many of us really want to know Christ to that degree? You know, so many people occupy church pews every Sunday and they're content to just know about Christ and to hear some nice sermons that appease their consciences. You know, they're comforted that they went to church and did their duty. <laughs> and folks, let me level with you. If all that God and church is to you is a duty, then that is the essence of dead religion, which cannot save you. See, if all that reading the Bible or praying is to you is a duty, then you won't get anything more out of it than maybe a little bit of uh, head knowledge, but certainly no revelation knowledge. But how many of you here are really pursuing Christ, striving to know his ways and to have close personal encounters with him? You see, it's only in that kind of pursuit, ladies and gentlemen, that we experience the power of his resurrection in our own personal lives so that you actually see the power of God working in your life, changing your character, and dramatically making you into a new creature in Christ over time. And, you know, that's what happened with me personally, by the way, 28, 29 years ago. You know, when I first came to Christ, I had been a, a very immoral and a very selfish person. You know, my life motto was similar to that old Billy Joel song, My Life. Have you ever heard that? Where uh, he said in that song, I don't care what you say. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life, but leave me alone. And that was kind of the way I lived my life. That's the way I thought. Well, I have to tell you that all the clubbing and, and drinking and carousing that I, I thought was so fun back then while I was doing it did not make me a happier person. It didn't. It didn't. As a matter of fact, it seemed like the, the more that I did it, the, the angrier and emptier that I got. Because it was like, okay, when am I going to experience the perfect buzz or the, the perfect relationship that's going to give me lasting and ultimate fulfillment? And the answer that I discovered was that indulging all my selfish desires wasn't the answer. It's only when I laid my life down to live it for Christ that life actually took on purpose and meaning and peace. In other words, I was living for myself all the time, all that selfishness, but peace and security and meaning in my life was eluding me. But then when I flipped the script and forgot about all my own selfish ways and lived my life for Christ, all of a sudden, all the stuff that I was looking for back then, all of a sudden I had that purpose and that meaning and fulfillment. Praise God. So what, what Jesus said was exactly true in my life. You know, Jesus said, if you try to save your life, in other words, what he was saying was, if you try to hold on to all your selfish desires and all your sinful ways, if you try to save your life like that, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake in the kingdom, you're going to find it. You're going to experience true life at that point, and I found that to be exactly true. You know, there's a lot of people that don't mind doing the churchy, religious thing as long as it doesn't cost them anything or ever make them uncomfortable in any way. And folks, that's not a kind of faith that will save you unless you're willing to lay aside your selfish ways and lay those things aside to walk with Christ in the good times and the bad, the highs and the low. You know, if you've got one church, one foot in the church and one foot in the world, just in case this church thing doesn't work out, 
Well, Jesus said, if that's the way that you're approaching him, listen, you're not worthy of him. That's what he said. Come on, I'm just telling you like it is today. I told you this was going to be a little bit different today. I believe I'm speaking by the Spirit of God today, ladies and gentlemen. You may have come to get stroked today, but I'm here to get you stoked today. All right? Praise God. So let's look at uh, more of what the Apostle Paul said. According to the, the Apostle Paul, all those credentials that he listed that he thought were so important at one point of his, of his life, he now considered a loss. So let's read his words. Again, this is going back to our master text. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now, Paul was saying that there was nothing in this world compared to his desire to know Jesus closely. If Paul would have lived in this day and age, he may have said something along the lines of shopping at the mall doesn't compare to my desire to know Christ. YouTube and Facebook pale in comparison to my love for my Savior. Sports has to take a back seat. And if sports ever gets in the way of my pursuit of Christ, it's got to go. Praise God. Even my reputation is nothing compared to knowing Christ. Money, power, sex, politics, or my favorite hobby cannot compete with my pursuit of Christ It's the driving passion of my life, my bread and my meat, my love, and the very breath in my lungs. And anything else and everything else is like trash when I compare it to my desire to know Jesus. So Paul was saying here in this passage, look at the screen, he was saying in essence that anything gained of temporary value is like dung compared to to knowing Christ. I remember one night many years ago before I started serving the Lord, uh, I was hanging out in my apartment with some friends and and, uh, I was drinking a drink and I set it down on the table just with a a little bit of uh, of the drink left in the bottom of the bottle. And uh, as I stepped away and then came back, what I didn't realize that while I was away, someone had put their cigarette butt in that bottle thinking that it was an empty bottle. And uh, when I came back, I didn't realize that because the color of the bottle was dark. And so I took one last big drink out of that bottle. And I'm telling you, that was the most foul taste I've ever had in my mouth. I can still remember my reaction. My entire body just convulsed with how vile that was. Well, the... (laughs) The reason I tell you that story is because that taste in my mouth is is similar to what the Apostle Paul was saying about anything that would compete with his love of Christ. It's as foul as drinking that vomitous drink. He was saying that everything that he thought was so valuable is nauseating now compared to his desire to know Christ because he learned that only the Lord is truly good. Now, folks, when we can get to that point, it will change everything. But listen, our little half-hearted approach to faith in Christ won't change very much in your life if it changes anything at all. I want to say that again. Our little half-hearted approach to faith in Christ won't change very much in your life at all if it changes anything at all. You know, in contrast to today's church, Christians in the fourth century or the first four centuries of the church were radical about their faith. So much so that Christianity literally overtook Rome in the fourth century, even while under harsh persecution. Why is that? How did that happen? Well, it was because the Christians back then were too radical about their faith to piddle away their time entertaining themselves nonstop. Okay? 
They were a group that fasted and prayed constantly. And they met together in worship and fellowship, not just once per week, but the Bible says that they met daily in the temple and from house to house. See, they took church really seriously. And what was the result? History records that they operated in signs and wonders, signs and wonders, because they were hungry for the things of God. They were hungry for the things of God. Oh, church, when are we going to get hungry about the things of God like that again? Let me talk to those of you that still have children living in the home. When are your children going to see mom and dad ravenous after the things of God? When will they, when will they see you passionately pursuing the things of God, not lackadaisically? See, what they see in you is what they're going to reproduce. If they see you compromising, that's what they'll do. And even more so, as a matter of fact, if they see you putting other things ahead of the church and other things of God, that's what they'll do. And even more so. See, if you're lax in your pursuit of God, don't be surprised when your kids are too. Don't be surprised when your teenagers rebel and your grown kids don't mind missing church for weeks or even months at a time or even that they don't ever go at all because they're out doing other things because that's what they saw you do. I'm just prophesying by the Spirit of God today, folks. Set a standard in your home now. And fathers, I want to talk to you for a moment. You are the primary one who sets the spiritual tone in your home. You have been called as the priest of your home. Make it a home that prioritizes all the things of God, not just some of the things of God, but all of the things of God. And then pray like crazy that your children will follow suit. Hey, listen, it's hard enough in this day and age to raise godly kids when you are in church on a regular basis and you are doing family devotions regularly. Uh, folks, listen, but if you're not doing those things, if you're not allowing your kids to see you passionate after God, then the chances of them having their own close relationship with God goes down dramatically. Let them see you on your knees in prayer. If they catch you doing anything, let them catch you on your knees in prayer. Get your nose out of your phone and get it in the Bible instead. Let them see you doing that. Let them see you hungering after the presence of God in church and raising your hands in worship and adoration to God. Let them see you doing that. Okay, I'm just getting warmed up. Let's continue looking at the words of Paul. Paul said, becoming like him in his death, in that master text that we just read. So let's read verses 10 and 11 again. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What does that mean, becoming like him in his death? Well, it means being willing to follow Christ no matter what it costs you. No matter what it costs you. So once again, becoming like him in his death simply means being willing to follow Christ no matter what it costs you, even to the point of death, if necessary. That's what Jesus did, ladies and gentlemen. When he was preparing to go to the cross... He knew what it was going to involve. He knew he was going to have about half the skin on his body filleted like a side of beef. He knew he was going to writhe in agony on that cross for four hours. And even worse than that, he knew he was about to experience the awful curses of sin as the Father literally poured his wrath upon the, the body of Jesus as a substitutionary sacrifice for your sins and mine. See, the sinless body of Christ was about to become the curse as he hung upon the cross so that you and I could experience the blessing of redemption, praise God. Hallelujah. 
And knowing this, knowing what he was about to face, is why Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. See, because Jesus, the God-man, God in flesh, was experiencing now what you and I go through. And he knew what it was going to cost him. He knew what was going to happen on that cross. And every nerve fiber in his body was going to scream for relief for four hours. He knew that what he was about to face. That's why he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. In other words, he was saying, Father, if there's a plan B, I'd like to do a plan B. Then he went on to say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, he was agonizing in prayer, knowing what was about to happen to him. And yet, he was obedient to that suffering. Because the Bible says that because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What does that mean? It means that he had you and me on his mind. See, he was looking forward to the joy of knowing that a way of escape from the wrath of God against sin was now provided. So he was obedient to the will of the Father. I'm so glad that he was. He's my hero. Praise God. But back to you and me for a moment. You know, Jesus did all that for us. And yet, so many of us can't even spend a little bit of time in the Word of God and in prayer on a regular basis. Um, We can't share our faith with others who need to know the Savior. We can't get to church half the time because there are things more interesting to do on Sundays. We can't find enough strength in ourselves to to, uh, die to our selfish desires after Jesus did all that. Are you kidding me? Come on, the Bible says that in your struggle against sin, in our struggle against sin, we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood like Jesus did. Folks, as for me and my house, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and even the participation in his sufferings, if necessary, even to the point of becoming like him in his death. Folks, that's not legalism, that's relationship. Praise God. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment here about a parable that Jesus told about the pearl of great price. So let's read that short passage out of Matthew 13, and then I'm going to elaborate on this. So uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went away and sold all he had and bought it. The kingdom of God he likened to the pearl of great price. So, Look, I think the the Lord would say to our congregation today, when are you going to get tired of pursuing your useless activities and just desire to know me? When are you going to get passionate, as passionate about me as you are the flicker of your smartphone or the idolatry of your sports or the beckoning of your TV? There's nothing wrong with those things if they're kept in their proper place, but therein lies the problem. We give those things hours and hours and hours of our time, but we put Jesus in this little bitty box over here. And what has living like that done for you so far? (laughs) Right? How's that worked out for you? Get off the merry-go-round. Instead, let's do as Jesus said when he said, come to me. And learn of me, and I will give you rest. See, all the things that we love to include in our lives to distract us, the things that I just listed, your smartphone, your sports, your TV, whatever else that you're using to entertain yourself to distract you from the fact that life is not very fulfilling, So we try to fill it up with more stuff. 
How's that working out for you? There is a better way. Okay, there's a better way. And that's why Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure worth giving up everything for. I want to speak real straight to you for a moment. And you might say, well, Pastor Andy, what, do you, what have you been doing so far? Well, I'm going to speak even more straight to you. Okay. Listen, anything that takes precedence over the things of God in your life is an idol. It's called idolatry. It's one of the Ten Commandments, one of the things that God hates. Idolatry. If you find yourself spending more of your time and more of your thought life on other things than you do God, and God's kind of tucked away over here in a little compartment, that's idolatry. Okay, it's an idol. Listen, I know we all have to make a living. You know, I get that. We all have our careers, and indeed, those things do take up a lot of our time and our thought lives. I get that. We've got to make a living. But even in the midst of your daily routine, you can still include God in everything that you do. And beyond that, folks, listen, you need to have some alone time with God. You need to do as Jesus did and get up in the morning and spend some time in his word and in prayer and worship. And you need to get your bones out of bed on Sunday mornings and get to church where you can hear the proclamation of God's word and let, let God's word speak to you through the preaching of his word. That's why he gave us the church, folks, because God speaks through the church as well. So don't forsake the assembling of your of yourselves together. Don't make church a little low priority over here. See, Jesus went to an agonizing cross to pay the way for your salvation and mine, and we can't even give him our Sunday mornings? Really? Hmm. We can't even give him one hour of our day to to pray and, and read his word and to fellowship with him. We can't swallow our pride enough to share the gospel with someone who uh, is lost. God help us. No wonder there's no power in the church these days. No wonder the church isn't influencing the culture any more than it is. Actually, it's the, it's the other way around, isn't it? No wonder the youth of our nation are being swallowed by Hollywood and socialism and selfishness and perversion because they haven't seen anything better in their parents. Mom and dad, if you would turn up the spiritual temperature in your home, maybe it would cast the forces of hell out of your house. Come on. See, if we could just set our eyes and our hearts on, on Christ, and not all the distractions of this world, then all of those other things would lose their luster because nothing compares with Christ. You know, we sing that song that we sang this morning, Graves to Gardens, that says, there's nothing better than you, Lord. But honestly, I think half of us don't really even believe that. Not by the way we live anyway. Because there's other things that we actually are attracted to more than Christ. See, Jesus tends to be a little side thing over here rather than the burning passion of our lives. Jesus is a little side thing over here along with our other hobbies rather than the driving passion of our lives. And folks, that's what chokes the word of God out of our lives, Jesus said. It's the cares of this world and the desire, listen, and the desire for other things, Jesus said, that chokes the word and makes it unfruitful. Even if you're hearing the word, if Jesus is just some little thing over here, is a little peripheral part of your life, and there, you have all this desire for other things, even if you're hearing the word on a regular basis, it's choking the word out of your life and making it unfruitful. There's another old song that speaks to that as well. Look at the screen, that old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, which says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That is absolutely true. God's kingdom is the pearl of great price, worth giving up everything for. 
You might say, Pastor Andy, this is not a very feel-good Easter message. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus didn't come to give you the warm fuzzies all the time. Okay, he came to proclaim this message. Listen to his words very carefully. Unless you repent, you will perish. That was his words. And I don't think that gave people the warm fuzzies when they heard that. I think it shook them to their souls. That was the point. You know, throughout the Bible, there's a call ringing out to wake up from your spiritual slumber because your soul is at stake. Here's an example right here out of Ephesians 5.14. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. I'm going to read to you out of Revelation 3 as well. These are the words of Jesus. He said to the... I believe this was the church of Ephesus, if I'm not mistaken, or the church of Laodicea, perhaps. I need to go back and... And refresh myself on that. I've been reading, meaning to read the Bible one of these days. <laughs> that was a joke. Okay. Revelation 3, the words of Jesus. I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot. How I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, folks, listen. He's talking to Christians here. He's talking to people who have come into the family of God, but who have gotten lax and lukewarm over time. He says that people like that are in danger. In danger of what? In danger of being vomited out. Now, you can interpret that however you want, but any way you slice it, that doesn't sound good. That's right. See, we better keep our lamps burning, folks. Let's go on in, in Revelation 3. He goes on to say, You say, I am rich. I have grown wealthy and need nothing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, white garments so that you may be clothed in your shameful nakedness not exposed, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be earnest and repent." Do you know what repent means? It's being deeply and humbly sorry for your sins and turning around and going the other way and forsaking your sins. That's what that means. That's what repent means. It doesn't mean just an emotion where you feel, oh, I feel a little bit bad for what I did. No, it's, it's a deep, humble, contrition, sorrow for your sins and turning around and going the other direction. That's what repentance is. So what is it talking about here? In essence, what Jesus is saying here with uh, this whole passage is it's talking about the people of God walking in pride. The pride of believing that we're fine just the way that we are. That we don't need to pursue God with all of our hearts. That we don't need to give up anything in order to plunge the depths of spiritual things. And when we get to that point where our smug self-righteousness blinds us to our spiritual need, it's then that we are truly wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You might say, Pastor Andy, this is Easter Sunday. Don't you want to preach a softer message on Easter? Listen very closely. No. No. Listen, uh, folks, listen. I would not be doing people a favor if I preached a soft message. I wouldn't be doing people a favor if I allow people to remain blind to their own spiritual nakedness. I would do people a disservice if I did that. I'll stand before God for what I preach to you. And you know something? Just personal note. I just want to be around people, other people, that are passionate about the things of God and serious about the things of God as well. 
And by the way, I know it's trendy in some churches today to, to give a, a cool light show and a soft, feel-good message so as to keep people in the seats and build mega churches. And if that's all you want out of church, well, this is not that church. Okay, We're going to preach the uncompromised message of the gospel so that as much as it depends on me and my preaching, we're going to do whatever we can to keep souls out of hell. Praise God. And if doing that means that we keep our church small, well, okay, so be it. I'd rather stay small yet powerful in God than to grow large in number but be a church full of spiritual dry bones. Come on, people. Oh, God, turn our graves into gardens. Mm. Raise the dead bones in this church to rise to praise you, Lord. See, Jesus is making a call today, ladies and gentlemen, and here's what it sounds like. Let's keep reading out of Revelation 3. Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. To the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's my message today. The death and resurrection of Jesus wasn't so that you could just give Jesus a little salute and say, thank you, Jesus, for your bloody sacrifice. I receive you into my heart, and now I'm going to go over here and do my own thing, and I'll show up to church every now and then when there's not something more fun to do, and I'll read the Bible once in a while to appease my conscience, and oh, if I'm ever in trouble, you know, I'll pray then. But, you know, don't ever ask me to inconvenience myself or give up my sin or do anything that stretches me because, you know, I still have to be me. Folks, that is not salvation. And churches are filled today. Churches throughout this nation are filled with people who are deceived into thinking that way and living that way. Folks, Jesus said that broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many people are on that road, even people who occupy churches every Sunday, who just want to have a little goosebump and go home and change nothing, or put in their time and appease their conscience. I punched my time card for God today, so I'm going to go off and do my thing, and then I'll come back next week and punch my time card again, put in my time. Okay, that's not salvation. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are on that road, Jesus said. But he went on to say that narrow is the road that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Why? Because that road, that narrow road, requires taking up your own cross to follow Jesus, which will require a life of self-sacrifice in many respects. Can you handle a little more this morning? Give me just a couple more minutes here. I want to give you a few more words of Jesus. Let's refer to Matthew 7. He said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What's he talking about here? He's talking about people that don't really have any relationship with him, but they're doing all these so-called religious things to try to appease God through their good works and to appease their own consciences. So what is the will of the Father that he's talking about here? It's first of all knowing that we are all, listen, that we are all spiritually bankrupt. That's the first step in knowing the will of the, will of the Father, that we are all spiritually bankrupt and that without placing your faith in your scapegoat, in your stand-in, in your substitute, Jesus, who took your sins, your, the penalty of your sins upon himself, 
without putting your faith in your substitute Jesus, there's no hope of you ever being saved or being reconciled to God. See, your good deeds can't save you because you've already violated God's laws both inwardly and outwardly over and over and over again. And you'll never be able to do enough good to make up for all of that. So your only hope is in Christ Jesus who already took your sins upon himself on that cross. But, folks, listen, you have to be willing to take the next step by placing your faith in him, repenting of your sins, and turning to him then in humble servitude. And then, out of that relationship, you begin working to expand God's kingdom here in the earth, not because your good deeds save you, that's not the point, but because you're living now out of a heart of gratitude. And you do as Jesus said, lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow him. It's the execution of your self-centeredness. It's the execution of your self-centeredness. And as a result, you take upon the work of Christ in the earth. That's doing the will of the Father. And if you're just checking some religious to-do list, oh, I did my three minutes of Bible this morning, if that's all your religion is, just some checklist, well, folks, sir or ma'am, if that's what you're doing, you may not even be saved at all. It's a relationship, not a religious checklist. One of the reasons why Jesus messed up the religious culture of the time that he came to is because they were a religion, the ancient Jews were a religion of checking off their religious checklist. As long as I check off my checklist, me and God are good. Yet they had harbored all kinds of corruption in their hearts at the same time. And Jesus came along and, and upended that apple cart, toppled that sacred cow, and says, no, God's looking not just at your outward actions, but your, at your inward actions as well, as your, your heart, your thoughts, your motives. So he upended that apple cart, it's not just about doing the outward religious things. It's about your heart, folks. So if that's all that your religion is to you, is some religious checklist, see, you've got to move past that into a relationship with the God who loves you. And, and, and if you don't do that, you're never going to experience God in a meaningful way. Folks, I don't preach like this very often, but there comes a time when we have to honestly evaluate ourselves. Listen to me. I'm seeing more passion and more good fruit out of the new believers in this church than some people who have been attending church for 20 years or more. Don't lose your first love. Our love for Jesus needs to get stronger as we go along, not weaker. You've got to stir yourself up in your most holy faith. What's it going to take for some people to wake up spiritually? Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and then Christ will shine on you. Praise God. Yeah, go ahead. Well, now that I've shaken your cage a little, let me leave you with some encouragement. I love this passage out of 2 Corinthians, or 2 Chronicles, rather, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, which says, For the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over all the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. It didn't say half-heartedly devoted to him. He wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. That's what he wants. That's his heart. God's not an ogre who just wants to keep you from having fun. That, that's not his heart. He's a good God. He loves you. He wants to pour out his goodness upon you and bless you. That's his heart. But folks, you've got to give him something to work with. You've got to give him something to work with. You've got to stop playing religious games and totally surrender to him. Nothing held back. 
You've got to reach the point where you say, enough of doing things my own way. I'm doing it God's way from now on. And then you've got to repent of your compromise. And listen, I don't know everybody here. We've got some visitors today. I, I don't know you from Adam except for the five seconds that I spent meeting some of you. So I don't know all of you here. But I just have a feeling that there's some in this room right now, and you know who you are, who've been playing religious games. You've been playing religious games. You talk a good talk and you put up a good front, but secretly you're a compromiser. You toss God a few crumbs maybe every now and then, but you pretty much live the way that you want the rest of the time. I have to be very honest with you today because I love you, that if that describes you, you are on that broad road to destruction that Jesus talked about. Do I need to say that again? I want to get that in your heart. If you're a compromiser, if you're just tossing God a few little religious crumbs every now and then to appease your conscience but you have really no heart for him otherwise. You're very likely on that broad road to destruction that Jesus talked about. I want to tell you something, folks. Listen, I don't have it all together, and I don't have all the answers, and now that I'm serving Christ, I certainly don't get to have things my own way all the time, but that's okay now because I know firsthand that Andy's way is the stupid way. I've learned that firsthand. I live my life in subjection to Christ now. Which means I live a very restricted life compared to most people. But listen, I'll put my happiness and my peace and my blessing up against most other people's any day. And see, that's what God wants for all of his children. He just wants to bless you, give you eternal life, and bless you here in this earth as well. Yeah, you'll still have some challenges. You'll still have some frustrations. But God wants to carry you through that and cause you to have a glorious outcome. He wants to bless you. But listen, you have to decide who your Lord is going to be. You or Jesus. Because it can't be both. If you're going to sit on your throne, then Jesus will stand off to the side and say, all right, have at it. Let's see how that works out for you. But if you ever want me, I'll be over here waiting. You've got to decide who your Lord is going to be, you or Jesus, because it can't be both. At this point in a sermon like this, I would usually have you stand and we would pray together and I would give people an uh, invitation, an opportunity to, to respond to a message like this. Folks, I want to let you know, there's some of you in here very likely that your soul is at stake right now. And God has you here by his sovereign will for a reason, because he loves you. He's, he's wooing you right now. He's wooing and he's giving you an opportunity to respond to this gospel right now. Because you're not, listen, I'm not trying to scare you, but let's just be honest. You don't have the promise of tomorrow. I've known all kinds of people, young and old, who've died for various reasons, very unexpectedly, and, and been plunged into eternity. They had no idea it was coming. You definitely want to be ready when that day comes. And Jesus said, if, listen, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you acknowledge me before men, I'm going to acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. So I would be remiss after a teaching like this to not give you the opportunity to respond to that. And I'm not an arm-twisting kind of pastor. I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond. And if nobody does, okay, fine. Then I guess we're all on good terms here with God. But I'm hoping it's not because your hearts are hardened and, and cold to the things of God but I, I know the Holy Spirit speaking to some of you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a, a, two calls today. I want to just see, stay seated right where you are. I'm going to give you the opportunity to be bold, okay? Because again, Jesus died a gruesome death, 
completely naked on a cross, humiliated and tortured for your sins and mine. And I think those of us that, that are going to respond to him need to do so just as bravely. Because again, he said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I think our, our stand for Christ needs to be a bold one, not a weak one. Do you agree with that? All right, so again, I don't know everybody in this room, but here's what I'm going to do. If you're here today and you say, uh, Pastor Andy, if I die today, I, I don't know that I would make it. I don't know that I would be in heaven. I don't know. You can be confident and know today. All you have to do, you know, when the, the, the disciple Peter stood up and gave his very first sermon, the response of 3,000 people was they said, men and brothers, what, what, what must we, we do to be saved? And, Jesus, and Peter said, repent and turn to Christ and be baptized. That was the answer. So here's my call to you today. There's two categories that I'm giving you the opportunity to respond uh, today. And the first category is this. If you've never made a commitment to walk with Christ, you've never, you never remember a time where you said, yes, I'm a sinner and I need the forgiveness of God. I need to respond to his grace and come into the kingdom. So that's the first one. The second one is, you may be better, have been around church stuff before, but you may know all the right lingo and know what to say and put, out, put up that good front, but you've been a compromiser. And that's my second call. And I'm just going to ask you to be real bold. And again, if nobody responds to this, I'm, I'm going to move on. I'm not going to drag this out and give you 30 invitations, okay? It's going to be one invitation. One. Okay? Here's how I'm going to handle it. I'm going to count to three. If there's anybody in that category, you say, Pastor Andy, I've been a compromiser. I've been lackadaisical. I have not been pursuing God the way that I should. Or anybody who's never made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ before. That's the call I'm making. I want the rest of you to sit right where you are. If you're brave enough to take a bold stand for Christ, I'm going to count to three. And at the end of three, those of you that want to be prayed for and you want to make a change today and begin walking with Christ, then please stand to your feet and I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Okay, one, two, three. Anybody else in the room? Any, praise God. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Anybody else? I'm not going to drag this out. Several of you that have stood to say yes to that invitation. Anybody else? Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. Hallelujah. Somebody near these that are standing, would you just go over to them and just put a hand on them and, and lay your hands on those and just begin praying for those? Um, listen. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.